This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Happy Columbus Day. 528 years ago, Columbus discovered the new world in one of the most daring feats of exploration in history. Today, cultural Marxists are attempting to purge the legend of Columbus and replace it with an anti-European guilt trip. A left-wing activist posing as a security guard shot and killed a Patriot protester in Denver. And over the weekend, the World Health Organization admitting that the lockdowns are doing more damage than the virus. With these stories and more from an American nationalist perspective, I'm Jim Dawes, and this is Right Now. And thank you for tuning in to Right Now. We broadcast each weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern on the Mojo 5 radio network. You can catch us live online on iHeartRadio or on demand wherever you get your podcasts. But this conversation never ends. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Right Now Jim Dawes. Shoot me an email at Right Now Jim Dawes at gmail.com or you can call the vent line and leave your rants at 772 245 0750. Well, uh, we're going to get in the second half of today's show to the Amy Coney Barrett hearing, Coney Barrett hearing. And, uh, and catch you up on all of that as it develops. But I want to open today's show by acknowledging Columbus Day. Columbus Day is under siege. It is uh, being purged from America's history in classrooms and in popular culture. And uh, in preparation for this segment, I, I went on YouTube uh, attempting to find the old song that school children were taught in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Well, that song has, has been gone. It's been pushed down the memory hole by Google who owns YouTube. If you go to a Google search page, unlike most, um, holidays, there is no acknowledgement of this Columbus day. And, uh, and then when I went to look for the, um, the Columbus Day song to open today's broadcast, I found this instead. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It was a courageous thing to do, but someone was already here. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. It was a courageous thing to do, but someone was already here. The Inuit and Cherokee, the Aztec and Menominee, so you can't find the uh, the old poem converted into a song about uh, Columbus and the Nina Pinta and the Santa Maria and the exploits of those 100 men over 500 years ago. Instead, it's been replaced with this, uh, you know, uh, a minimization and disrespect toward Columbus. So I thought I'd open today's show because... So much of the history of Columbus has been purged and uh, recast as, you know, Columbus as a, a villain in history who 
committed a genocide on the Native Americans. Uh, with this uh, this little primer on Columbus, just to remind uh, those of you who already know, to remind those of you who already know and uh, and educate uh, those people who have grown up since we had a proper education on Columbus. Everyone, Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus was born in Genoa on October 31st, 1451. At that time, the people of Europe only knew about the continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa. Columbus spent much of his life sailing. He also read astronomy, geography, and history. He was inspired by the writings of Marco Polo and his tales of adventure in the East. From the lands in the east came spices which were greatly desired in Europe and difficult to obtain. Such spices were expensive in Europe, so an easier trade route to the east would have immense value. For this reason, Columbus planned to sail west around the world in order to reach the lands to the east, which were called the Indies. Columbus believed that discovering such a route would make him rich. There were differing opinions on the size of the earth and the distance of such a voyage. Columbus believed that the world was small and that the journey to the Indies was possible. He approached the leaders of several nations to get funding for his voyage west and was repeatedly denied. Advisors told their leaders that the journey was too long and that the earth was much larger than what Columbus thought. Columbus approached the king and queen of Spain repeatedly. They were reluctant but eventually agreed to help Christopher Columbus. They hoped that he could find new lands and convert the inhabitants to the Catholic religion. So, on August 3rd, 1492, Christopher Columbus set out on his westward journey from Palos, Spain. He sailed with a crew of roughly 100 men and three small ships, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. On his way, Columbus stopped by the Canary Islands. There he had his ship prepared and restocked with provisions. On September 6, 1492, he left the Canary Islands and sailed west out into the unknown. As they sailed further and further out, the darkness and emptiness overtook his crew, and they grew ever more afraid. They wanted desperately to turn back. Christopher Columbus remained resolute and unafraid and he did his best to comfort his men as they sailed day after day into nothingness. Eventually, they spotted land, and on October 12, 1492, they landed on an island in the New World, the American continents. There, Columbus met a group of natives who lived on the island. Since Columbus believed that he had landed in the Indies, he called the people there Indians. Columbus eagerly befriended the Indians, for as he wrote in his logbook, in order to win their friendship, since I knew they were a people to be converted and won to our holy faith by love and friendship rather than by force, I gave some of them red caps and glass beads which they hung round their necks, also many other trifles. These things pleased them greatly and they became marvelously friendly to us. Columbus then traveled to other nearby islands and eventually returned to Spain. He would journey to the New World four times in all, but he always believed that he had sailed to the Indies in Asia. It was another explorer who would realize that the land was not the Indies at all, but an undiscovered new land. 
That man was Amerigo Vespucci, for whom the New World would be named. As with many great discoveries, Columbus found the New World by accident. Through his courage and persistence, he followed his desires and discovered a new world, rather than a mere trade route. Columbus's journeys continued to inspire other explorers, much as Marco Polo had inspired him. In time, these explorers and their voyages would unite the entire world. So we know now that Columbus has been thoroughly vilified. Uh, this last year alone, 33 uh, statues of Christopher Columbus have been torn down in the United States, and it continues. <laughs> They've already torn down uh, most of the Christopher Columbus statues in this country. So overnight, the indigenous uh, arm of the Antifa um, organization out in Portland uh, went on a day of rage where they uh, they tore down more statues, this time of old Honest Abe and, uh, and Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> so... Uh, if you think that it's going to stop at the purging of Christopher Columbus, uh, you're sadly mistaken. They also um, attacked and um, vandalized the uh, American History Museum in Portland. So what they're out to do is basically purge the history of uh, Europeans um, in this new uh, cultural Marxist formation that they mean for our country and they're doing this because they want you to believe that um you know christopher columbus was somehow um, morally defective and that his trip to the new world was one of conquest and uh genocide and they want you to believe that the american indians that uh, inhabited the new world were peaceful and virtuous and uh, undeserving of Christopher Columbus's um, discovery of America. And it is true that uh, many American, American Indians died after Europeans came to the New World. The vast majority of those, of course, died as a result of diseases for which they had no immunity. But these calls to abolish Christopher Columbus Day in favor of an Indigenous Peoples Day, at least Google didn't put that up instead of Columbus, uh, would have you believe that they're virtuous and noble and um, in contrast to their European counterparts. They want to romanticize American Indians while vilifying Europeans. The truth of the American Indian was is far different. Uh, like peoples across this world, the American Indians were engaged in conquest and slavery. But even more than that, uh, when Columbus landed in the New World, uh, many American native, native tribes were still engaged in um, in actual uh, human sacrifice and cannibalism. Some historians estimate that Aztecs richly um, sacrificed as many as 50,000 people every year. That was in a population of about 4 million. That's 1% of their population annually, over 1%, that they richly sacrificed. In these ceremonies, captives were taken to the top of a temple 
laid on a stone slab, and then a priest would uh, cut their hearts out of their chests. Their bodies would then be dismembered, and the torso kicked down the temple steps. The limbs were then eaten. The heads of the sacrificed victims were placed on poles and kept as trophies. When uh, Cortez uh, finished his conquest of Mexico, he witnessed over 100,000 skulls stacked meticulously on top of each other in these Aztec um, temples. After the arrival of uh, the conquistadors, a uh, small band of Spanish conquerors who, uh, who, who almost single-handedly conquered the Aztecs. But uh, it was a war. The Spanish, uh, the Spanish that were taken prisoner by the Aztecs were um, ritually sacrificed. Their hearts were ripped out. They were eaten. So Columbus discovered uh, many friendly Native Americans, and he sought to uh, save them for what he saw as, you know, his salvation, his religion. But this whole notion that American Indians were were somehow better, they, they conquered each other, they engaged in war, they enslaved their victims, and and even worse than that, uh, they, you know, they truly engage, engaged in some uh, barbaric practices. What this is really about, this attack on Columbus Day, is an attack on Western civilization. Whether anyone likes it or not, Columbus discovered America and it changed the course of American history. And trying to minimize or ignore the, the daring deeds of Columbus is... Uh, is an insult to history and an insult to Western civilization. If you want to see and really appreciate just how daring the uh, Columbus voyages were, I would recommend that you um, visit the tour of the Nina and the Pinta. They, uh, they, uh, they have recreated some ships to the specifications of the Nina and Pinta, and uh, they, they visit ports all over the Gulf Coast and the East Coast. I think they're they're probably on hiatus now because of the, the virus. Those are very cramped spaces when you visit them. But if you ever get a chance uh, to see the Nina and the Pinta, that is really an eye-opening experience, just how, how small these old wooden ships were. They, uh, they were a relatively a recent development in history themselves. They were able to sail into the wind, and, uh, and that made Columbus's voyage possible. So it's Christopher Columbus Day 2020, and uh, many Americans are still celebrating while the Democrats and the cultural Marxists are trying to erase him from our history. And now I've done my part and you've done your part to keep the legend alive we're going to go out to a break stick with us we'll be right back when the weather outside is frightful the hyundai santa fe is 
what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So we've had our latest murder in in response to these uh, Antifa riots. Over the weekend, a group of patriots uh, sought to hold a demonstration in downtown Denver, and they were immediately set upon by Black Lives Matter and Antifa goons who called what they called a soup drive. And this is a euphemism they use where they show up with uh, soup cans and uh, throw them at their opponents. Uh, You could make a good case that that's uh, attempted murder because you could definitely be killed by being hit in the head with a soup can. But um, other than uh, the the Denver police did an excellent job of getting between the protesters, uh, and they took a lot of uh, soup cans as a result of it. Uh, but as the protests were dispersing, apparently a, uh, there was a confrontation between a Patriot protester and, uh, and some, uh, Antifa black lives matter, uh, agitators that had broken loose from the group. And, uh, as part of that confrontation, uh, somebody that was claiming to be a security guard, a plain clothes security guard pulled a gun whereupon a, uh, a Patriot protester uh, sprayed him with mace and the security guard so-called then shot him. And the security guard was supposed to be working for a, uh, a local news outfit called nine news. And they were saying that they hired him from the Pinkerton agency to protect their reporters that caught my ear because uh, my first job out of the U.S. Navy was as a Pinkerton agent. That was back in the early 80s. Uh, Pinkerton hired ex-military and law enforcement personnel uh, to, uh, you know, to be their agents. And uh, at the time, Pinkerton had uh, probably the most comprehensive and uh, acknowledged excellent training program for private detectives in the industry. When I was a a Pinkerton agent, they taught us an executive protection, and that's what this was. They keep saying that this guy was a security guard. Security guard uh, doesn't doesn't provide protection in these types of events. The security guard patrols and reports. They are sometimes armed, more commonly unarmed. Uh, They just report and call 911. This guy if you're to be believed, was providing executive protection for the reporters for uh, Nine News. But he, if in fact he worked for Pinkerton, their training and hiring standards have gone to shit. When I was there, the firms that trained uh, U.S. State Department security details trained us in the various aspects of executive protection. And you certainly wouldn't use lethal force because somebody was trying to spray you with mace. You wouldn't engage in a confrontation at all. What you would do is evacuate your principal or your VIP 
from that situation and, uh, and avoid it altogether. And now this morning we're learning that, um, despite the reports from, uh, nine news that Pinkerton is saying that they, that this, uh, this shooter in Denver wasn't employed by them. Now there's, there's a lot of controversy around this because it, it took Pinkerton over two days to disavow this Denver shooter. And they still haven't done it in a very declarative way. It may be that, uh, you know, they were providing security services for nine news where at their actual location, their offices, they would probably contract with actual security guards and that this guy was somehow a subcontractor. But if you look at this guy, in addition to not knowing anything about executive protection, quite obviously, he has, was never licensed as a private detective or a private security operator in Denver. And if you look at his social media, you will find out that it is loaded up with example after example of his left-wing political beliefs, his attendance to Bernie Sanders rallies and Occupy Wall Street protests. He brags about uh, calling conservative people racists and getting in their face. That is something I can tell you that Pinkerton would never allow of its agents. Pinkerton, if you're not aware, has a long history. Um, much of that is in uh, strike breaking. They went to work for the industrialists in the 1800s and the, and the uh, 1900s breaking strikes, busting heads on occasion, shooting and killing people. And they've been trying to live that history down ever since. As a matter of fact, uh, I guess it was back in the 90s, they were bought out by a Swedish company that at one point had removed Pinkerton uh, from the, uh, the brand entirely, which I always thought was amazing because Pinkerton was a very valuable brand. Apparently they... Uh, they reversed course on that and brought the brand back. But Pinkerton is very sensitive to allowing its agents to ever take a political position on anything. So that would tend to either make me believe that he, he wasn't actually a Pinkerton agent and that Nine News is being dishonest about this, or uh, that the standards, both the training standards, the, the uh, hiring standards, have really gone to crap. I will say this, their public relations standards have definitely uh, suffered because they have been very slow to try to, to get out ahead of this story. And if, in fact, this guy is not working for them, you would think that they would have uh, been quick to point that out because their their brand is taking an absolute beating in the court of public opinion. But this was uh, this was... If it was an issue of executive protection, then it was a disastrous issue of executive protection. You don't confront um, protesters when you're doing executive protection. You are there to protect the principal. And now what this guy done, has done is uh, create a huge liability for whoever employs him. 
I'm inclined to believe it's not Pinkerton. I hope it's not Pinkerton. So we've got the Amy Comey Barrett. Why do I keep saying Comey? Amy Coney Barrett hearings going on this morning. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fireworks in that uh, Senate hearing room. We're going to cover that a lot in the second half of today's show. Over the weekend, the World Health Organization issued a quiet uh, communique saying that, uh, well, looks like the lockdowns are doing more damage than good after all. Where have you heard that before? Donald Trump said that from the very beginning when he was trying to get the economy back open, uh, saying that these lockdowns were going to be far more uh, destructive than the actual virus itself. The Democrats insisted that he pay attention to the scientists and lock down the economy. Well, now the scientists, at least over the World Health Organization, are admitting that Trump was right. Do you think that'll have any effect on the Democrats or the media? Do you think they will admit that their promotion of these lockdowns, in fact, caused more death and human suffering than the virus itself? I kind of doubt it. We'll talk about that more when we come back. And we'll catch up on these Amy Coney Barrett hearings right after these messages on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. Stick with us. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. Well, the hearings for Amy Coney Barrett to be confirmed to the Supreme Court are going on now. I spent the morning watching a lot of the opening statements. I don't think they're going to get to any of the questions for the nominee today. But uh, what was clear is the Democrats know that they can't stop this nomination and that she will, in fact, be confirmed. And so they have taken to making the, the hearings a, a basically a, an election infomercial for Joe Biden. Uh, they're, they're just slandering the president and each and every time one of them speaks, bringing up the, uh, the COVID crisis and and a lot of issues that have nothing to do with this nominee's fitness to sit on the Supreme Court. We're going to get to all of that and listen to a lot of clips from it. But first, I want to I want to talk about a development over the weekend. On Friday afternoon, a time that's normally reserved by uh, public relations people and crisis management people uh, to make uh, press releases so as to minimize their uh, their impact. 
the World Health Organization came out with a, 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 a communique that said that they have now determined that the economic lockdowns that they have been advocating for over six months now have, in fact, done more damage than the virus itself. They have determined that the lockdowns were counterproductive. Now, this is something that the president was arguing early on in this crisis when he was advocating, you know, shutting down the economy long enough to flatten the curve as his his world, his uh, public health experts advised him to. But then immediately started advocating for the Democrat governors to unlock the economy and let people get back to work. He was attacked just relentlessly for that, saying that he put the economy above lives and that he was uh, hard-hearted. The president's defense, of course, was that the lockdowns were going to cause more pain and suffering than the actual virus itself. And now he has been uh, validated in that belief by the World Health Organization. Now, I'm not advocating that we listen to the World Health Organization because they have proven that they are a political body repeatedly. But uh, the fact that they're having to acknowledge the reality of this now, I think is going to is going to uh, make a, a real impact on people considering the Democrats' arguments that uh, Trump mishandled the response to the Wuhan virus. I turn to the pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post, and I see that they have given no coverage whatsoever to this development from the World Health Organization. The same people that were telling us repeatedly that we had to abide by the dictates of the World Health Organization and, and uh, savage this president for pointing out that they were colluding, if you will, with the communist Chinese dictatorship and allowing the spread of this virus. They, uh, they have taken no mention or, or no notice at all of the sudden about face of the world health organization. So you have to worry, wonder about the timing of this release of this revelation from the world health organization. It comes too late in time to uh, do any good about allowing the economy in this country to recover in time for the election, but it does come in time to allow it to recover after the election. And if Joe Biden were to win that election, then he would be in a good position to claim credit for the recovery that he can now say the world health organization has authorized us to, to, uh, unlock the economy and unleash. It's really something to see. And uh, you, you're going to hear very little about this when you tune into the mainstream media that is now focused almost entirely on these hearings of Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett is uh, really bulletproof as far as criticism of her professional qualifications or her, uh, her personal story. And so the Democrats, knowing that they're going to lose this, are not going to damage themselves any further and remind people of their ridiculous behavior during the Kavanaugh hearings. And so they're using this opportunity of the hearings uh, as a platform to attack the president and the, the Republicans on the committee, saying that somehow uh, moving forward with this nomination is illegitimate because 
it comes in the last year of a uh, of a president's term. There's been some great arguments on all sides um, against this, I should say. But uh, the the Democrats are smearing the COVID response. They're trying to say that this is a referendum on the Affordable Care Act as if the Affordable Care Act is something that the American people want to protect. Now, there's a there's a good number of people that are having their health insurance subsidized by the rest of us. It's basically a government mandate that uh, everybody um, provide health care for people who uh, cannot afford it through subsidies. But, you know, I think they're badly miscalculating. The Affordable Care Act for most voters who had health insurance prior to its implementation, we know exactly what it is. It tripled premiums for your average family of four. The premiums absolutely went through the roof and are taking up a greater share of people's income now than than housing and uh, food combined. And that would be one thing if the the plan were actually a good plan. But it's a it sucks. The the deductibles under this wonderful plan that the Democrats continue to pretend is God's gift from Obama are so affordable, I mean, so uh, unaffordable that you can't hardly even use your insurance. Some of these deductibles approach $10,000. And then you're pay- for a family of poor, four, you're paying premiums of $20,000. So that's $30,000 that you're not even getting any benefit from. But the Democrats, one after another on this uh, at this hearing would have you believe that this is somehow pulling the rug out from under people because this government interference in the marketplace of health insurance has wrecked the market. Every time government gets involved in a market, they, they distort the market almost always to the benefit of big business and the corporate people that were at the table when they wrote these bills. That's what happened to education. Education used to be very affordable until the federal government got involved in subsidizing it, and now it costs $40,000 a year to send a kid to college. That's just uh, you know tuition and books. It's, uh, it's less expensive than that at, in state universities, but it, it's 40000 if you uh, send your kid out of state, twenty-five dollars or $30,000 if you send them in-state. The idea of not appointing this judge uh, because the president is in the last year of his first term is is patently undemocratic. It's basically telling the voters who in 2016 elected this president and in 2018 elected a uh, majority Republican Senate that they don't get the full four or two years out of their vote then that they only get 
in the case of the Senate, half of that. And now they have to stand aside and wait to see if their opponents can somehow take the next election. It's really absurd, but the Democrats want you to believe because the Republicans would not confirm Merrick Garland in the last year of Obama's last term that this is some sort of perversion of democracy. I mean, I think most people were able to understand that the reason the Republicans didn't confirm Obama's nominee in the last year is because they had the votes not to. And in this case, they now have the votes to confirm a nominee of a president of their own party. So I'm going to play this uh, little opening of Dianne Feinstein. I'm not going to play Lindsey Graham's opening statement because you can just imagine what it is. I mean, he, uh, he doesn't make a lot of serious arguments and he is not a very effective uh, chairman, but Dianne Feinstein's opening really tells you, uh, which way the Democrats plan on taking this hearing in the next few days. In filling Judge Ginsburg's seat, the stakes are extraordinarily high for the American people. Let me just stop right there. There is not Judge Ginsburg's seat. It is a seat on the Supreme Court of the United States, and it belongs to the American people. Calling it Judge Ginsburg's seat is um, really insulting. Extraordinarily high for the American people, both in the short term and for decades to come. Most importantly, health care coverage for millions of Americans is at stake with this nomination. So over the course of these hearings, my colleagues and I will focus on that subject. So Diane Feinstein opens up just admitting outright that she wants to appoint people that uh, share her, her activist view on the Supreme Court. She doesn't want a judge like Amy Coney Barrett, who is a strict constitutionalist, to judge the law on its merits, she wants to be able to dictate an outcome through the choice of a nominee. We will examine the consequences if, and that's a big if, Republicans succeed in rushing this nomination through the Senate before the next president takes office. But most importantly, in just a few weeks, on November 10th, the Supreme Court will hear hearings in Texas v. California, a case brought to strike down the, Amer- the ACA. The president has promised to appoint justices who will vote to dismantle that law. What the president has promised is to appoint justices that will abide by the Constitution, and if, in his opinion, they do abide by the Constitution, then the ACA will probably be overturned. He's not alone in that belief. Most uh, serious legal scholars believe that the the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional and that Judd Roberts, by allowing it to survive during its first challenge, was bowing to political pressures. We're going to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll, uh, we'll take up Ted Cruz's argument that this uh, this notion that this nomination is somehow has to be put on hold uh, goes against history. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Whether you're moving in together for the first time. This can be your closet. 
or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva paper towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva Towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. Well, the Democrats are trying to flip logic on its head and say that uh, by a by making this appointment in the last year that uh, the Republicans are somehow uh, being un- undemocratic and not allowing people to have their say, when in fact they've already had their say, they have their say for an election cycle, and this nomination is perfectly in keeping with the historical precedent. The Democrats want to use this argument, of course, to incite or activate their base and, uh, and make them think that somehow they're being cheated. Ted Cruz gave a, a, a little history lesson in his opening statement that uh, you're going to want to hear. So what is it our Democratic friends have focused on? Well, one thing they focused on is history. And they claim the fact that this nomination is occurring at all is illegitimate. Doesn't matter who Judge Barrett is. There, doesn't matter what she's done. Doesn't matter her record. Doesn't matter... Her extraordinary family story of doing all of this while being a mom to seven kids. The timing of the nomination, our Democratic friends tell, tell us, makes it illegitimate. Well, except for that history does not accurately reflect what the Senate has done over two centuries. This question of what happens when there's a Supreme Court vacancy during a presidential election year 2020 is not the first time America has faced that question. Indeed, in our country's history, that question has come up a total of 29 times. So 29 times, presidents have faced the same circumstance. And presidents have nominated individuals to fill those positions all 29 times, 100% of it. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. From a president's perspective, it's easy. If there's a vacancy, even during a presidential election year, you make a nomination. 44 individuals have served as president throughout the history of our country. Half of them, 22 of the presidents we have had, have made Supreme Court nominations for vacancies that occurred during a presidential election year. But what has the Senate done? Well, again, the Senate precedent is quite clear, and this is something that our Democratic friends do not want to address, do not want to confront. Of those 29 times, 19 of them occurred when the president and the Senate were of the same party. And when the president and the Senate are the same party, history shows that those nominees get confirmed. 17 of those 19 were confirmed for vacancies that occurred during a presidential election year. On the other hand, for those doing math at home, the remaining 10 occurred when the Senate and the President were of different parties. When the President and Senate are of different parties, the Senate over history has confirmed only two of those 10 nominees. Again, history is clear. The overwhelming majority of instances that the President and Senate are of different parties, that nominee doesn't get confirmed. That is, of course, what happened with Judge Garland, nominated by President Obama. President Obama was a Democrat, the Senate was in Republican hands, and following tradition of 200 years, 
The Senate did not confirm that nominee. Oh, but you didn't even give Merrick Garland a hearing, they say. Well, the reason they didn't is because they knew they weren't going to confirm him and they didn't want to drag him through this and attack him the same way that the Democrats are perfectly happy to do anytime they're faced with a Republican nominee. And if you want to see how really political all of this gets, there was no better example than Amy Klobuchar, who we were led to believe during the Democrat primaries is the the moderate choice, the even uh, level-headed Democrat, the one that ex- respects decorum and the uh, the history of the Senate. She has gone entirely off the deep end now. Hour after an election, every candidate does that, but not this guy. We have a president who has fired or replaced five inspector generals, Senator Grassley, who has fired an attorney general. You know who else has uh, fired inspector generals? Obama fired every single inspector general as soon as he was elected. Fired the attorney general. An FBI director and is now going after their replacements. We have a president who divides our country each and every day. He has called our military suckers and losers. So she's taken her opportunity at a judiciary hearing to tell a a proven lie. The discredited and debunked story that the Atlantic wrote to try to smear this president was pure political attack. Now Amy Klobuchar is getting right down there in the gutter and using that story during this hearing. Is it a a commentary on the nominee? No. Is it an argument on her judicial philosophy? No. It's an attack on the person who nominated her, and it's a completely dishonest attack. He's refused to condemn white supremacists. Oh, my God. Can you believe this is Amy Klobuchar? This is the one that they wanted us to believe was uh, the stable not or the stable candidate in the primaries. And he has the gall to hold up a Bible as a prop in front of a church instead of heeding its words to act justly. And now he says this election will end up in court. Why, Senator Cruz? Our after- well, this election is very likely to end up in court because the Democrats have spent the last year engineering these mail-in, mail-out ballots that have almost guaranteed that it's going to end up in the courts. They've done it in Democrat states across this country. Let's see what Ben Sass has to say about all this. And a final term that we should be clear about, I mentioned earlier, but I think it's worth underscoring, is we should underscore what is court packing. Court packing is the idea that we should blow up our shared civics, that we should end the deliberative structure of the Senate by making it just another majoritarian body for the purposes of packing the Supreme Court. Court packing would depend on the destruction of the full debate here in the Senate, and it is a partisan suicide bombing that would end the deliberative structure of the United States Senate and make this job less interesting for all 100 of us, not for 47 or 53, because it's hard to get to a supermajority that tries to protect the American people from 51, 49, 49, 51 swings all the time. 
What blowing up the filibuster would ultimately do is try to turn the Supreme Court into the ultimate super legislature. Court packing is not judicial reform, as some of you who wrote the memo over the weekend got a lot of media to bite on. Court packing is destroying the system we have now. It is not reforming the system we have now. And anybody who uses that langu- the language that implies filling legitimate vacancies is actually just another form of court packing that's playing the American people for fools. And the American people actually want a Washington, D.C. that depoliticizes more decisions, not politicizes more decisions. Yeah, that was Joe Biden's tactic over the weekend to push back on his refusal to answer whether or not he intends to bend to the will of the far left wing of his party and pack the Supreme Court. says we're not deserving of knowing that. And then now they're characterizing the nomination to a vacancy that has occurred as court packing. That's their answer. So they spent the, you know, last week coming up, probably poll testing and focus grouping their defenses. Joe Biden can't answer this question. Kamala Harris can't answer this question because if they say no, they're not going to pack the court. It will anger their left-wing base, make them less likely to turn out. And if they tell the truth that they do plan on packing the court, well, that position has overwhelmingly uh, overwhelming public opposition. That uh, uh, senator from Rhode Island, the White House, I can't remember his first name, he's always good for a laugh. Let's see what he has to say. Chairman, Judge Barrett. America's worried about one thing above all else right now, and it's our health. This hearing itself is a microcosm of Trump's dangerous ineptitude in dealing with the... So this is a U.S. senator sitting in the Judiciary Committee that doesn't even call the president by, uh, of the United States by his title. And this is coming on the heels of their outrageous behavior at Kavanaugh's hearings. Really, I don't understand why the Republicans even pretend to give a damn what the Democrats on that committee have to say. They disqualify themselves from any serious, their opinions from any serious consideration in the Brad Kavanaugh hearings. Let's listen to Josh Hawley. This freedom of conscience and religious liberty undergirds all of our other rights because it tells the government that it cannot tell us what to think or who we can assemble with or how we can worship or what we can say. And that's why Article 6 is there even before we get to the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. But this bedrock principle... He's talking about Democrat opposition that they spent uh, last week trying to cultivate to her nomination because she is a uh, an observant Catholic. ...of American liberty is now under attack. That is what it's, is at stake when we read these stories attacking Judge Barrett for her faith. That is what is at stake when my Democratic colleagues repeatedly question Judge Barrett and many other judicial nominees about their religious beliefs, about their religious membership, about their religious practices, about their family beliefs and practices. They've actually gone gone after more evangelical Christians on those grounds than they have Catholics. I always, you know, think this is kind of an odd argument with regard to the Supreme Court because the 
there are no Protestants on the Supreme Court. There are, uh, at this point, I think, uh, six Catholics and uh, two Jews. And (laughs) we're about to appoint another Catholic. Makes you wonder in a country that's pretty overwhelmingly Protestant, uh, why not a one has been able to make it to the Supreme Court. You know, I I feel bad for Judge Barrett having to sit there and take this kind of abuse from the Democrats on the committee without an opportunity to answer back. She's going to have that beginning tomorrow. But I'm sure she's going to conduct herself in the same way that most uh, constitutional appointees do and refuse to answer questions about how she would rule or what her or rationale for uh, issues that are currently before the court would be. I don't know how much longer Joe Biden is going to be able to hold out on this position that he won't answer whether or not he's going to pack the court. One thing about it is it's uh, taking attention away from a lot of the positions that Joe Biden has already taken. And I wish they would go ahead and and let this uh, court packing question go and get back to asking him, did he really mean it when he wrote, raised his hand and said that he was going to provide taxpayer funded health care for anybody that managed to sneak across our border? Taxpayer funded health care for illegal aliens, that is a recipe to destroy this country. And oh, by the way, he's also going to decriminalize uh, crossing that border. So there's really only going to be incentives for anybody in the third world that uh, does not, you know, have come from a a country that has adequate health care to sneak into this country. And there's not going to be any uh, any punishment if they get caught. They'll be waved on in. And if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have their way, we'll be uh, we'll be providing them health care. How do you think the ACA is going to stand up under those economic pressures? Well, that takes us to the end of this edition of Right Now. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope you'll come back here again tomorrow. We'll take a look at the uh, the questioning from the senators for Amy Coney Barrett right here on Mojo Five O Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth-like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home.